Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, you're very welcome along to this Sunday's Big Red Bench. Coming up, we have reaction from Cork's win over down from Finton O'Toole. Dermot Sheehan reacts to Cork versus Wexford in the hurling. It also looks like we're going to be ringing in an Irish Grand Slam on the show. The under-20s are giving the Scottish a pummeling down the road at Musgrave Park. Plenty of other games on as well throughout the day. Formula One returned with a cracker. And of course, we speak to Tom Savage on yesterday's Six Nations finale. That's all coming up before seven. Yeah, Aidan Lee here with you until 7 on Cork's Red FM on the big red bench. As I said, Ireland under-20s on course for the Grand Slam. 33-0 at Musgrave Park against Scotland. Fantastic stuff. Tries from Jack Boyle. Jude Postlewaite, I think. Postlewaite. Wait. James Cullhan and Fionn Gibbons going over the line from Ireland. Um, so yeah great stuff there it's only half time so yeah on course for a good one and of course last night England we needed them to do us a favour did they they did not they did not they were quite poor against France but France France are unbelievable and we will have more on that later uh, with Tom as I said uh, great chat coming up with you um, from him and uh, yeah looking back on what was a crazy day yesterday and uh, looking forward as well to what will be a World Cup year next year Um other games ongoing at the moment Spurs 2 West Ham 1 72 minutes gone in the Premier League um, Spurs of course need a win this is kind of pretty much if a win here for Spurs would end West Ham West Ham's hopes of, of challenging for the top 4 but as I said West Ham maybe they may they might be focusing on the Europa League they have a really good chance there obviously Barcelona are in there but you know West Ham could beat anyone on their day in fairness um, really good structured side so yeah Spurs have the advantage though today and uh, 2-1 to them and uh, yeah Dave Mackin and Jor, Jor Mack the two Max big Spurs fans they'll be delighted um, I suppose there is uh, other than the Premier League plenty of FA Cup going on Everton today for to forget again. Uh, they'll have to focus on the Premier League now. Dumped out of the FA Cup by Crystal Palace. Uh, with a look back on the, today's action, here's Nigel Bidmead. Whatever happens in the next month or two, Crystal Palace have had a fabulous first season under manager Patrick Vieira. They play attractive attacking football, have no relegation worries and have now reached an FA Cup semi-final. Mark Gurhi and Jean-Philippe Mateta in the first half, then Will Saha and Will Hughes late on scored the goals against a toothless Everton side who are now free to concentrate on staying in the Premier League. Crystal Palace 4, Everton 0. Yeah, really not been great uh, so far. Uh, Frank Lampard actually have, have some audio from him here. Um, he complained about a number of things. Uh, his team crashed out of the FA Cup, as we said, at the quarterfinal stage. He was unhappy with the kickoff time. Uh, following, of course, they played late on Thursday, which might be fair enough. Uh, he also moaned about the decision by the Premier League not to overturn a controversial red card shown to Alan in their win over Newcastle last time out. Two things hindered us. One was the scheduling, but not easy to rely on once you lost 4-0, but that was a negative for us. And then Alan's suspension not being turned over because it was a wrong decision and it was easy to save face by leaving him with a three-game suspension, which means we're missing big players today and we're missing for two league games. Very cranky Frank Lampard there. And uh, 
here's a very happy Patrick Vieira. The objective was to go to the semi-final and we needed to perform well and, and we did it today as a team and, um, and we managed to go um, one step forward. So this is the, the most important really. Yeah, great win by Crystal Palace four 0 Like it's good going, Vieira. I honestly thought Vieira would be sacked by Christmas and Palace would be bottom of the league. So fair play to me, prove me wrong. Anyway, uh, Man City pulled off a brilliant second half performance to book their place in the last four of the FA Cup. They beat Southampton four one. Here's Alan Lewis. It's finished. Southampton one, Manchester City four. City into the semi-finals of the FA Cup for a fourth year in a row, thanks to a second half performance that was so so clinical. Raheem Sterling capitalised on a Jack Stevens slip to put City in front only for Eimerick Laporte's own goal to level things up on the stroke of half-time but City dominated after the break De Bruyne restored the lead from the penalty spot Foden thumped home a third and Mares scored a fourth it could have been different had Southampton taken their chances Adam Armstrong and Shea Adams among the culprits missing good opportunities in front of goal in the end it was comfortable for Pep Guardiola's side Southampton 1 Manchester City 4 yeah, and the other game saw Leicester City in the in the Premier League play Brentford, and that finished two one to the Foxes at the King Power. Shane Pennington was there. Leicester two, Brentford one, and Brendan Rodgers' side are back to winning ways in the Premier League, courtesy of two cracking goals in the space of first up. Sorry, going again in three, two, one. Leicester City 2, Brentford 1 and Brendan Rodgers side back to winning ways and then the Premier League courtesy of two cracking goals in the space of 13 first half minutes first it was Tufik Castagna back in the side after injury put inside on his right pair from 20 yards out and smashed it into the top corner and then James Madison topped it with a 25 yard free kick he put in the top left corner giving Ray a no chance once again that was Leicester's 800th Premier League goal in the second half Brentford gave it a go Pontus Janssen twice and also so another effort from Mbwemo uh, had good saves from Schmeichel before they did get back in the game five minutes from time Mbwemo with the effort to whistle on the edge of the box and he fired into the net from 18 yards it was too little too late though for Brentford in the end Leicester 2 Brentford 1 Brentford are a funny one Ivan Tony is an even funnier one as well I, another video of him today seemingly mocking the club he plays for uh, it's, he's, a, he's, he's a strange lad is, is Ivan Tony. Uh, it's the second time now he's been caught uh, mocking his, his club the team that pay his wages uh, so um, hopefully I won't be following suit mocking my employers anytime soon I don't think it'll go down as well as he's got away with it the only thing is they, I don't think they're going to suspend him again because the last time they suspended him they ended up in the bottom three so he scored two goals last week for them uh, so I'm pretty sure they're going to be trying to brush that one under the carpet uh, they can't afford that uh, moving on from football to Camogie and Cork's minor Camogie team are into the All-Ireland final they beat Tipperary and Thomastown 1-7-9 points and now face Galway in the decider and uh, there'll be plenty of build up um, and reaction to that win of course on Thursday uh, by Jar in the Women in Sport podcast and also the Cork under 16s had a great win great start to their Munster campaign uh, they gave they gave Waterford a bit of a hammering um, I think it was 119 to, to four, 4 or 5 points so um, yeah they definitely won 19 by Cork so it was great shooting I know there was a strong wind there and they put up I think 116 by half time so but yeah plenty of reaction to all of that in the Women in Sport podcast 
on Thursday. Um, Kilkenny beat Waterford by six points in their Division 1 game in the Allianz National Hurling League. And uh, Dahi Boland was at Nolan Park. Full time here at Nolan Park. Kilkenny winning 221, Waterford 21 points. A first half, Killian Buckley. And second half, Billy Rheingold for Kilkenny were the major scores in this game as Brian Cody's side finished top of Division 1B with Waterford in second. A poor second half performance by the Dacia, who were sent down to 14 men when DJ Foran was shown a red for a head challenge. Brian Cody will be pleased, especially with Walter Walsh and Paul. Roderick Walsh, who scored eight points between them today. Full time, Kilkenny 221, Waterford 21 points. Yeah, and then in the National Football League, the other, t- the, the, the opposite codes uh, leading team and top of the table, Kerry beat Armagh 113 to 13 points at the Athletic Grounds. Elsewhere, Kildare beat Monaghan 24 points to 12. Uh, big win by Kildare. Um, Ashling O'Reilly was at the Athletic Grounds for Kerry versus Armagh. Full time here at the Athletic Grounds. Kerry 113, Armagh 13 points. Kerry led by four at the break. It was Armagh who had a lot of wides and missed chances in that first half. And it was Kerry's Jack Savage who got a black card just as a whistle blew for half time. Stephen Campbell, who was introduced at half time, kicked the first point to the second half, followed up by Paddy Clifford, who fired over a great point from 40 yards out to push Kerry's lead back to four points. Another defender got on the score sheet. This time it was Armagh's cornerback, Greg McCabe. But the game changing moment came by who else but David Clifford when he buried it low and hard into the bottom of the net after receiving a stunning long range pass from Stephen O'Brien. Rory Grugan popped over a free that was quickly cancelled out by Kerry's Jack Savage down the other end. And Reen O'Neill kicked his second of the day from a free 29 minutes gone to put just four between them. Armagh's Jason Duffy looked to be through on goal, but it was denied by goalkeeper Shane Ryan. And 33 minutes gone, Armagh's Gerald O'Byrne scored a massive score out the field to make a 113 to 13 points to Kerry. Stephen Campbell has made a massive impact off the bench for Armagh, but they just will not be happy with the amount of wides and the wasteful play that they've had here today. Full-time score, Kerry 113, Armagh 13 points. Yeah, and after that victory, here is Kerry keeper Shane Ryan. Shane won 13 to 13 points in the end. A tough game out there looking on from the press box. How was it for you? Absolutely, yeah. We were under a lot of pressure there in the second half, but I mean, coming up to Armagh here, it's our home ground. Our first time for a lot of us playing here, like we were under no illusions, we were going under severe pressure for, for a lot of that game, and that's what it was. But look, it's a game, much like last week in Mayo, we were under the cash, but um, we, we came away with the win, which is which is pleasing. Um, a lot of a lot, a lot to work on the performance, so but that's uh, that's probably a positive aspect at the, at the end of the day. And just talk to me about the intensity out there. Um, you know, there was a lot of pushing and shoving going on at half time. They were separating the teams walking in. Yeah, uh, look, that's that's uh, that's senior football, like that's Division One football. You're not going to play a game in Division One where there's not going to be a bit of uh, a bit of intensity, you know, the home crowd getting behind their team. And look, we've definitely got to Shirley and Killarney as well. So when you go away from home, you take to go with the bed. And you're top of the table at the minute. How are things going in camp? Obviously, new management this year. It's all going well. Great, yeah, great. I mean, like when you're winning, everything is going well. Um, now we're, we're facing league final now, the third of April too, which is great. We've Tyrone coming to town next week, uh, another big test for us. But um, look, we're happy. The way things are going. We're, we're conscious it's only the league. It's early. It's, it's in the month of March. There's no Ireland's one in March, as we've known the last couple of years. So um, look, our, our focus is firmly on championship, and uh, we'll see how we get on then. And looking ahead to Tyrone, Fergal Logan was sitting up beside me up there taking notes. So he was. It'll be a tough battle. It always is against them. A hundred percent, yeah. And look, Tyrone probably going to come to Killarney to, to piece from last year as well. And likewise, we've, uh, we've, we've unfinished business with all in semi-final too. But look, it's going to be another great game. Uh, we're getting plenty of bodies in the field. Uh, some fellas are injured, some fellas are coming on. 
play, our lads are making their making their stake for places like and that's that's what you want to see at uh, at Inter County level. Brilliant, thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Shane Ryan there, Kerry goalkeeper. Now, as we mentioned. Cork with a huge, huge win against Down and a massive boost of staying up in Division 2. Um, they'll play awfully next week. Um, but today, uh, Fintan O'Toole was at Parky Cueve and uh, we spoke about the game. All right, Fintan O'Toole joins me now. Uh, he was down at Parky Cueve today. A timely win for Keith Rickens' men. Yeah, a huge, huge win. Uh, Cork's first of the uh, Division 2 league campaign um, and a massive boost for them in terms of their hopes of avoiding relegation. And obviously the knock-on effect is that it confirms Down's relegation from Division 2. Um, but it leaves it in Cork's own hands now heading into the last round in Tullamore um, next Sunday and given the nature of Offaly's defeat actually today against Roscommon it means Cork now know a draw or a win will uh, do them next Sunday in terms of staying up in uh, Division 2 football for next season and obviously the knock-on effects potentially for Sam Maguire or Talton Cup qualification for this summer and just gives the team a big, big boost, I think. Uh, after what's been a you know pretty tough few weeks for them um, for different reasons in terms of you know, player and availability and their injury problems and obviously the defeats they've had in Division 2, uh, this win will be really, really welcomed uh, by 116 to 112. Yeah, and like a lot of pressure on on the guys today, and I can just imagine when when Stephen Sherlock got that goal, that must have really raised their spirits and maybe taken a small bit of pressure off them. It did, it did, and it was the I suppose the score that kind of gave them a buffer all through the game. Uh, very well finished by Sherlock, you know, a clever finish, one handed uh, over the advancing down uh, goalkeeper Rory Burns to the net. But a lot of credit must go to John Rourke for the kind of break that he had made in kind of. Uh, getting through the down cover initially to kind of set up the chance. Um, both sides had missed goal chances uh, earlier than that. You know, Cork, Daniel Dean had a chance and for down Anthony Doherty. And I kind of had the sense of a game in the first half. The, the teams were pretty evenly matched that a goal, you know, was going to make a big difference on the scoreboard in terms of uh, pushing out of side clear and obviously it fell to Cork. Um, there was different stages in the second half where down came back at them, uh, particularly when they got their own goal through turn and rush. And they got within a point and a couple of the times, but Cork were able to kind of push on on each occasion on the scoreboard, which was crucial. But, um, you know, from the moment of that Sherlock goal, they were never level again in the game. Um, and obviously, you know, they, they only kind of trailed earlier on, early on um, for a couple of moments when uh, Darren O'Hagan scored in the 12th minute to put down three points to two. So, uh, yeah, the, the significance of Sherlock's goal was clear. And in a way, I guess it was kind of fitting. You know, he was, he was Cork's top scorer of the day with 1 7 and a uh, really, really important source of scoring throughout that second half as well and they kind of really needed his, uh, his accuracy from freeze yeah and as you said like Cork have they've been missing so many players and did another uh, injury worry again today but to you know have a few of the guys back like Brian Hurley and stuff today and going into the Offaly game as well it's a big boost and um, I think there's a lot of goodwill for, for Keith and this team obviously of course <laughs> the Cork supporters but um, it's good now that they can have this to build on and as you said more players are coming back yeah, and I suppose there's a lot of players uh, kind of at the bottom of uh, just by the sideline today actually watching on the game. Players were unavailable for different reasons and the injury problems have been well documented. I mean, even since last week's game against Mead, uh, defender Ty Corkery and forward Brian Hayes um, were both unavailable today for, for different reasons. But I suppose... You know, it, there's been a lot of negativity for Cork in terms of the injury situation, but today was probably a sign of maybe a bit of a positivity um, in the return of uh, Colomani to the starting side. Obviously, he came on last week against me, but he's had big injury problems. Look, he's a huge talent, as was seen in 2019 when they won the All-Ireland of 20, and he kind of has 
broke onto the senior scene then, but then uh, suffered a very bad hamstring injury in a league game against Westmead last year. But like today, now he scored three points and played foot forward. He was fouled for two of the frees that Sherlock scored. And it just meant Cork had another big, big threat um, inside an attack from the very, very start and kind of gets down something to think about. And, you know, I think the performance he produced was just kind of a reminder of what, what Cork had missed um, when he's been absent. And I guess the focus now, maybe next week could be too soon for some of these guys, but over the coming weeks is that you'll get more guys uh, kind of back into the fray and kind of increase the options um, that they have. So, uh, you know, like I said, after pretty, pretty difficult couple of weeks for them. Um, I think the picture became clear early on in Division 2 that it was just about preserving their status. This game, given that they were at home and given the fact that they were, I suppose, a relegation rival would always have been kind of, um, I suppose, identified from a, a long way out as a big game and possibly a source of two points as approved to kick the good score in the second half, scoring 11 points and managing to win by four and... Um, Actually, given the problems they've had in kind of conceding scores at the other end, you know, twelve is probably an improvement in that fortunes. And like you said, just for morale wise and for, for a bit of optimism and confidence, um, it is it is a big boost for them heading to for what is a tricky game next Sunday in Tullamore. Yeah, and like the next game against Offaly is the last competitive test before playing Kerry in the Munster Championship, and Kerry are going to have uh, some big games coming up competitively before that in Division One of the National League. Obviously, another win today, they stay top and will probably be in the final um, like it's going to be really tough going into the summer and I suppose they will just be focusing on the Offaly game but like it's not much of a, a comparison to draw there is it? No look there is obviously a big gap between Division 1 and Division 2 football um, I suppose the carry challenge is something that they'll probably be thinking about kind of next week um, after next week when the kind of league has concluded but I mean in terms of like if you were to draw a comparison I suppose you look at 2019 where okay they did ultimately get relegated from Division Three or to Division Three, but similar kind of pattern of results where they had started off poorly, uh, series of defeats, but managed to kind of win pretty well. Or sorry, finished pretty strongly, and they actually won their last game that season against Armagh. It kind of gave them a bit of a boost in confidence going into the championship, even if they had gone into Division Three. At least the results improved, and they had a pretty good season that year. They managed to reach the Super Eights. Um, I mean, awfully you know, are in a similar position. I mean, they're coming in off the, you know, they're, they're fighting for their lives as well. Um, having just come up to Division 2 this year, um, they lost by 10 points today um, at the hands of uh, Ross Common. So, you know, I suppose in terms of, from that point of view, Cork at least will be going in with a bit of pep in their step have managed to get, get off the mark and get a first win on the boards. And at least they know what's in their own hands. You know, it's not like that they have to go to this game next week and they're depending on other results that they're waiting this year. Uh, waiting to see how other teams get on. Um, they know that a that a draw or a victory next week will uh, will secure their status and just a bit of momentum. I think uh, out of this game um, heading into that last run set of the match. You know the fact that as I said that they got off the mark, that there were different positive aspects to their display um, with the kind of forward line. Uh, the two guys inside in terms of Omani and Sherlock scoring one ten between them. Um, Colin McCallum got two points. Um, a couple of the new defenders, William McGuire, John Cooper played well. Um, and, you know, they've obviously got the St. Finbar's guys back in, back into the fray as well. And uh, I thought we, we mentioned earlier about the, the injury situation, Kieran Hisson got off. But another young player came in today, Tommy Walsh, for Cantorak, obviously his league debut. He's the 15th player that Cork have had the debut for this spring, which I think is the most important stat, I think, to remember when people are looking at the results. You know, it's a huge number of new guys to be kind of um, exposed to this level. And it does take time and it does kind of require um, a bit of patience. So, I think from Cork, Cork's camp's point of view, and you could see that after the game and kind of the body language of the players and the management, uh, I think they're all delighted after their recent struggles have finally got a win on the board. 
Absolutely, yeah. more positive today and uh, big one next weekend and we're all looking forward to that. Fintan, thanks a million. No problem at all. Yeah, Fintan O'Toole there after Cork's win against Down and Ireland have scored another try, fantastic try uh, from Divine, I believe. A uh, little grubber kick through, great finish down into the corner. Um, 38-0 conversion pending, so... Yeah, uh, breezing on to the under-20 Grand Slam for the second year in a row. Now, um, as we were saying earlier, Kilkenny had a win over Waterford and the semi-final lineup is now complete for the Division 1 of the National Hurling League. Um, yeah, so as we said, Cork will face Kilkenny after the Cats win over Waterford. Wexford will in turn face the Dacia. Offaly and Antrim received a fair thrashing today, the two of them. Uh, Limerick, Limerick beating Offaly very heavily to Brary as well uh, over Antrim, uh, putting six past them at, at Semple Stadium. Uh, so they will play off in the relegation um, battle and then Dublin defeated Leash 231-124 to in a game that didn't make any difference to anything. Um, so yeah, uh, the, that is how it finished um, and uh, Cork against Kilkenny next weekend. And uh, as we said, not not too too good today. Their first loss of the campaign today against Wexford. Um, but we'll hear from Dermot Sheen here now. And uh, as he said, it's uh, not all doom and gloom leaving Wexford Park today. Dermot Sheen joins me after Cork's first defeat of the campaign in Wexford Park. Uh, Dermot, tell me, uh, I suppose it didn't make too much difference to the standings in the end. But um, uh, what did we learn from today? Well, Aidan, I suppose what we learned today was that um, Cork still have a long way to go um, when it comes to uh, strength and depth. Uh, look, there was no question that Cork didn't put out their strongest team today. There was quite a lot of players, players along, uh, of the quality of Patrick Horgan, Daryl Fitzgibbon, uh, Mark Coleman, you know, that, that, that didn't show their face at all today. And, and uh, young fellas came in, fellas by the name, like, fellas like Brian Roach, Kieran, Kieran Joyce got a game. Luke Mead, I suppose, has come back. Conor Lehan got to show his wares up in the corner. And while while the players did very well, I suppose, the Endeavour was, wasn't in short supply, they came up against the Wexford side that, with, with, with a large large enough crowd for this time of the year, nearly 6,000 fans, vocal fans behind them, were, were really up for this game and, and, I suppose, set their stall out early. And Cork really struggled to deal with that. I suppose Cork really got a taste of what Offaly got three weeks ago when, when, when Cork got a, a great start on them putting up 2-1, two, 2-2 two, two inside a couple of minutes Cork find, found themselves down 1-3 to, to no score after after only five minutes of the clock here and um, particularly in the first half they, they didn't really recover from that um, I think they almost 10 wide 9 wides in the opening half a lot of those really poor wides to be fair um, whereas Wexford were oh yeah, I suppose they weren't they, they, they had their issues being clinical as well I think they had 10 wides in the first half, but what they, where they struggled was, uh, or, or with their struggles, they, they were able to, uh, they had more of the ball. So I saw, saw in the end, they, they didn't really, their, their 10 wides didn't really account for much. Wexford have been quite interesting so far in the league under Darry Egan, and uh, like you said today, proved that they are definitely contenders in Leinster. Um, how dangerous do you think they can be as, as the more games they get under their belt with the new management team? I suppose to be fair, in you know, Wexford were a better side today. There was a, there was there was no doubting there was no doubting that. But you know, I, I don't think we should get carried away with ourselves with Wexford either. Yeah, there, there's a lot of talk around Wexford, but I, you know, if you put Cox first fifteen on that or first twenty, they bring first twenty three that they bring with them. Wexford weren't all that, 
Um, they were very, very comfortable in the early stages and rightly up for this game. But particularly in the second half, when Cork brought on brought on a few subs, they brought on Robbie O'Flynn, they brought on Sam Quirk, they brought on Mark Keane, Jack O'Connor. Cork looked a lot more solid in the second half and and really put it up to Wexford. And, and you know, at one stage knocked on six points there, uh, six points on the bounce, and Wexford were really struggling. Now, Wexford have uh, Rory O'Connor up in the corner. I suppose he's not really been lauded around as one of the, the best hurlers in the country at now, but I think people will start to pay attention to him, particularly after this game. He was sensational, some of the stuff he did. And I think Cork will, will, will Cork struggle with that today. And I think, you know, another one or two performances like that, and, and, and Mr. O'Connor will find himself a, a marked man going forward. But... Having said that, Wexford were in front of their home crowd today. They were very, they were, they were well worth their win, and and you couldn't take, you wouldn't take anything away from them for that. But still, I think they have a long way to go. Now they, they like Cork didn't play all their their, their main players. Lee Chin obviously wasn't there, but you know, you'd have to say that they might have a stronger, a larger strength and depth than, than Cork have at the moment. But Cork's starting fifteen, and and you know the, the next seven or eight players still. I think they're, they're every bit as good as this Wexford, Wexford side, so I wouldn't be getting ahead of ourselves just that. I think ultimately, Cork come out of this with a loss, which obviously isn't a great thing, but they have a home tie with Kilkenny as a reward for that, so, you know, that'll be something that they'll be looking forward to and getting psyched up for the week. Absolutely, yeah, that, that game, of course, Kilkenny, the old rivals, um, any time that Cork meet Kilkenny is always going to be an interesting and a, and a tense affair, Um I suppose that's what all the attention turns to now. And what could you ask for uh, as a better way of, of warming up for the Munster Championship? Look, I suppose every time we speak to a manager or players after a game, they'll always say that competitive games are much, or, you know, one competitive game is better than 10 training sessions. Cocker is a situation now where they're four, four weeks out from a championship, from the start of the championship against the All Ireland champions. They are, you know, playing one of the best teams in the country next weekend if they win that at home where they've been very solid this year, they get to go to a league final. That gets them games, competitive action, to within two weeks of a championship. They really can't ask for much more than that. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom leaving Wexford, that's for sure. I think Cork can, you know, obviously it's going to be a very different team that lines out next weekend. Uh, I'd say we could easily have another six or seven changes for this. And I would expect that from here on in, Kieran Kingston is going to have to start naming his strongest 15 with a view to winning every game he can from here on, you know, because if he doesn't, you know, the championship comes thick and fast, you don't want to lose, and, you know, you're opening the championship, and if you do, you want to be competitive, you can't be searching for your, you can't be going looking for your your, your strongest 15 uh, when you're in championship, because games come thick and fast, I think it's four or five games in five or six weeks, so they really need to be, next weekend I think we'll see a very strong cock side, and I think we might see, we, we'll get very close to seeing the side that'll face Limerick. And also, we had, oh, I think, over 12,000 people for the game with Galway. And now, as you say, a home tie against Kilkenny, league semi-final. I think there's going to be another massive crowd in Porky Cueve and there will be that championship feel to it. I spoke to Mark Sheehan, chairman of the county board, just after the game. Um, obviously, players and management aren't speaking to the press at the moment. But Mark was very confident that next weekend there's going to be a big crowd in Porky Cueve And I, it would be, I would be load to disagree with him. I think we will have another big crowd there next weekend. I think people are really getting up for, for, for hurling at the moment. I think obviously the footballers won as well today, so maybe there's a bit of a feel-good factor coming around. 
but definitely for the hurlers. Uh, I think we'll have another large crowd next weekend. I'm not sure whether that game is on Saturday or Sunday. I don't think it's been scheduled yet. But, you know, the old four come to town, Kilkenny, uh, Cork aren't going too bad. Obviously, you people will, will put this result to the side, but I think I think you could have a very large crowd there. It could be one of the largest crowds we've had there in quite a while. Absolutely. Can't wait for that one. It's going to be a great test between Cork and Kilkenny next week. Uh, Dermot, great stuff. Thanks a million, and uh, I suppose enjoy the drive home. Cheers. Thanks, Ed. Dermot Sheehan there, yeah, after Cork versus Wexford. And, of course, next week, big one, Cork versus Kilkenny in the league semi-final. Uh, coming up after the break, we talk Formula One and rugby with Tom Savage. Don't go away. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. Aidan Leahy here with you until 7. Ireland 45, Scotland nil, 61, 61, nearly 62 minutes on the clock. And the Ireland under 20 Grand Slam party almost in full swing uh, below the road in Musgrave Park. So well done to all the lads there. Um, Tottenham have beaten West Ham 3-1 in the Premier League. Mike Lawrence reports. Tottenham 3, West Ham 1, an entertaining if feisty at times London derby. Spurs took an early lead when Humin Son's effort was deflected into the net by Kurt Zuma for an own goal. Son made no mistake with a lovely finish for his 12th of the season midway through the first half before side Ben Rama put the visitors back in it just before the break. With West Ham tiring late on, Son scored his second from another assist from that man Harry Kane to seal it. So much at stake with both sides aiming for a top four finish. Spurs coming out on top here. Tottenham 3, West Ham 1. Yeah, and currently in action, of course, Liverpool away to Nottingham Forest. The first time they've played since 1999, of course, used to be a massive rivalry back in the 70s and 80s. So, um, yeah, big game. It's nil all. Uh, 32 minutes gone, nil all there. Um, Premier League leaders, funnily enough, Manchester City could face their near rivals Liverpool that is if Liverpool get over that challenge of Nottingham Forest because the draw for the FA Cup semi-finals have been made and uh, yeah so it's either Liverpool or Forest versus City after they got past West Ham or Southampton and uh, there's an all-London tie on the other side of the draw of course Chelsea will take on Crystal Palace of course Chelsea beating Middlesbrough quite handily yesterday and Crystal Palace hockeying Everton today so uh, it'll be either Liverpool or Forest versus City and Crystal Palace versus Chelsea it'd be nice to see Crystal Palace get to a cup final I suppose it'd be nice to see Nottingham Forest get there as well let's see what they can do um, against Liverpool today so um, yeah I'm sure plenty of Forest fans are on Cork as well obviously massive link with Roy Keane uh, with Roy Keane playing for Forest and everything so I'm sure there's plenty of you out there shouting on Forest today and uh, now Formula One um, it came back today and it did not disappoint great race in fairness and these cars definitely definitely can race closer to each other and uh, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz with a 1-2 for Ferrari which I was pretty happy with now uh, it's great to see Ferrari back up the top Lewis Hamilton is a lucky boy to be where he was in the end of the race third on the podium and it was all because of the two Red Bulls engines um, failing within the last couple of laps. Well, actually, I think it was a, a steering issue that, that Verstappen was kind of nursing along uh, for quite a bit of the race. Uh, Verstappen was second, and then 
his issues just became too much so he uh, he retired with a couple of laps to go and Sainz breezed past him to take second uh, that left uh, Sergio Perez um, the remaining Red Bull car in the race in third and then his, his car just seemed to cut out the final lap into turn one he just cut out and spun around and Hamilton uh, went past him so uh, Hamilton and Russell third and fourth Fantastic to see Kevin Magnussen first race back for Haas in fifth. Valtteri Bottas for Alfa Romeo in sixth. And uh, Yuki Tsunoda, funnily enough, was the only car that uh, he, his car was the only one that ended the race with uh, Red Bull power as uh, his teammate uh, Pierre Gasly went out as well. The Alfa Tauris just caught fire. Uh, Grand Ujou proved he's no more either. Alfa Romeo, the, uh, it's his first ever race, of course, scored points. Uh, scored a point, 10th place. He just... Just about beat out Mick Schumacher uh, for 10th. Um, so Alfa Romeo yeah, seemed to have a pretty good car as well. Uh, Schumacher, uh, it was a shame. I thought he was going to score his first points, but uh, there you go. And then like from there on, it was a massive gap to all the rest of them. The Aston Martins, the Williams, the McLaren are brutal. <laughs> Ricardo Norris, 14 to 15th. I did not expect that. Hulkenberg, I think Hulkenberg is very overrated. There's a reason he doesn't have a podium. He f- was filling in for Sebastian Vettel today, who had COVID in the Aston Martin. But the Aston Martin is also very bad. In fairness, uh, that he was 17th, uh, bringing up the rear. He was last year, so they knew the Perez Verstappen and Gasly, the the three retirees. So, but it's 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 going to be it's going to be a brilliant season. And uh, Red Bull, once they sort out the reliability issues, if they do, uh, it'll make for a fantastic three-way fight for the constructors between Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull. And uh, you can see, I suppose, it'll be Leclerc. Uh, Hamilton will definitely feature in the in the driver's title race. I wouldn't rule out science though featuring either, but I think Leclerc will probably, you know, become... The, uh, the 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 driver favoured by Ferrari, I suppose, if he keeps on winning, and of course, Verstappen will be trying to defend his title as well. So yeah, we'll keep on top of the Formula One. Uh, it, it is, I, I do enjoy it, and uh, Easy as well. Easy, it's about the only sport I think Easy watches. Um, I think the first time I've ever seen her take interest in the sport. So it's 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 growing now, Formula One, and largely uh, because of of Netflix and like it or not because of what was a really dramatic finish last year they have record numbers and if you'd ended that race point a safety car last season then I'm afraid you wouldn't have record numbers and that's about the that, that that's there's no two ways about it really uh, so we will move on finally now to rugby as we said England didn't do us the favour uh, but Ireland did win uh, a, a, a triple crown and uh, Andy Farland Jonathan Sexton spoke after the game this is before the England or France game so uh, it's kind of funny Jonathan Sexton speaking about how it will be strange to be shouting on England as it was for everyone but um, yeah here are their thoughts after winning the triple crown and beating Scotland yesterday at the Aviva Stadium Hi Andy congratulations uh, excellent win there for me please um, well, obviously delighted to, um, to to get the bonus point win. Um, I, I thought I thought Scotland played as as they always do against us. You know, the the, the very hard to shake off. Um, I thought they played a very physical game. I thought, um, as far as the defence is concerned, two in the tackle, they they they, they stayed they stayed tough in the in, in the breakdown, and they were able to get numbers on feet, and it was hard to break them down. But having said all that. It was a, a proper test match because of, because of how they um, brought the brought their own intensity to the game. But we we, we ground out a, a a brilliant win in the end. You know we've we've shown that we can play some really good rugby. I scored quite a few tries, but we've also shown 
in the last couple of weeks though that we've got some grit you know we've got some we've got some nerve to stay calm and and take the take the game right to the death and and, and get the bonus point win so delighted for all that obviously we're, we're disappointed um not to be in with the chance of winning a grand slam like like france are, but we dusted ourselves off after after the disappointment of paris and uh, got back on the horse and I think that's all you can ask for. Three bonus point wins on on, on the trot is, uh, is is some achievement. Kenny, congratulations! I know Andy was speaking before about trying to get your best performance at the championship out, but actually, when it comes down to it, it's really all about getting the win and getting the bonus. Point. Just, just to give us a shout and make it an interesting match tonight. Yeah, I don't I don't think we played our best rugby, but like uh, Faz just said, it, they make life very tough. You know, their defence is probably the best organised defence that we faced I think um, you know there's a lot of guys in the front line going hard at the breakdown um, you know at times we we didn't exploit it as well as we could at other times we, we showed some great things um, and then we we gave the ball away a couple of times quite easy you know uh, five metres out from their line a couple of times kicked it away a couple of times so look it's a good place to be isn't it you know after three bonus point wins in a row um, bounce back from, from the French game um, to do that very proud of, of this team and, and uh, how we've done it um, but it's a good place to be because there's so much more left in us and, and that's that's what we ca- got to keep driving home we've got the we want to enjoy tonight obviously but we've got the biggest test in, in world rugby which is going down to New Zealand and playing a lot of games down there so um, we're going to have to be a hell of a lot better over over the next uh, year and a half and that's that's what all our focus will be on Can you just set the scene for me what's going to happen now to get showered and will you be up in time for the 8 o'clock kick off is there a dinner ongoing at the same time as the match is on or how is that going to play out uh, yeah, uh, all the all the above upstairs for dinner and watch the game and um, yeah, it's out of our control now. Um, but remember the reverse fixture uh, years ago? We went to Murrayfield and got a got a big win and and uh, France came to to Twickenham and, and England put in an unbelievable performance and just came up short. Um, and yeah, it was a crazy night watching that. So probably something similar ahead. Congratulations, a super win and a really special occasion here at Aviva. Johnny, just to come to you first, um, it was really special, I suppose, to see you out there with your kids on the pitch as well. It must be a special moment. Yeah, it's the reason why you, you play the game um, for moments like that. Um, you know, especially being a little bit older than some of the lads, having having my kids there is, is extra special and it's, it's a big motivation. Um, to do it and yeah very special um, to, to have them there and, and they were so excited um, you know all week they were talking about the trophy and uh, I, I don't think I've been as nervous f- for a game for a long time um, and uh, but look we, we got there in the end uh, plenty to, to work on but uh, yeah very special moment Jonathan Sexton and Andy Farrell there after they won the Triple Crown beating Scotland yesterday. Uh, Scotland, meanwhile, have gotten points on the board in Musgrave Park. Uh, 71, almost 72 minutes gone. 45-5, they've actually missed the, missed the conversion. Uh, Ireland have had a man sent to the sin bin. Uh, so they're down to 14 for the... They'll have him back for the last uh, five minutes there. Or maybe actually only about three minutes so uh, yeah 45-5 and uh, yeah as we said a second consecutive Grand Slam so uh, I can't see them letting it up now this day surely uh, one result to bring you uh, Dublin versus Donegal Dublin have put uh, ease to their fears of, of relegation well though 
yeah, they have. Um, Kildare, they're also winning, so um, that table hasn't updated yet. Apologies. Dublin 2.15, Donegal 2.11. I suppose it means now Tyrone, uh, the likes of Tyrone there, and Monaghan now. Monaghan are going to be under serious pressure. Dublin will be on four points as well. Monaghan lost to Kildare, so they're level on points. And uh, Tyrone now, big game uh, next week against Kerry. They'll need the win. Uh, Kerry will want to make sure they, they make sure that the top spot of the division. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Good scoring. Dublin 215, Donegal 211. 211 from Donegal. They played a bit of football. Fair play to them. Uh, both time from my sports. Uh, so, yeah, back to the rugby. And uh, as we said, uh, mental day yesterday of Six Nations rugby. And uh, Tom Savage, I uh, spoke to him earlier on, Three Red Kings, and um, we discussed, I suppose, everything, anything and everything from from, from Italy's fantastic win uh, to, to Ireland's uh, scrappy enough win over Scotland and uh, everything in between, and of course the force and the threat that France will be in the coming years. Here it is. Tom Savage, Three Red Kings, joins me. Uh, thanks for joining the show. No bother, delighted to be here. Uh, first of all, I suppose, let's start off with, with Italy uh, from yesterday. What a win over Wales that was and great scenes, wasn't there? Absolutely fabulous. And I think when you look at Italy over the last couple of, of games, certainly this season, it might not have seemed like that win was coming, but they've been improving gradually over the course of this tournament. And their start uh, against Wales was really, really sharp. They seemed to move to a style of rugby that was less about uh, maximizing their own possessions. Uh, they kicked quite smartly, used their energy well. Uh, but even then, it seemed like that might not be enough. They uh, ended up uh, going behind in the scoreboard late in the game. And then uh, Andre Caputo with, uh, uh, honestly, a, a bit of magic that will, I think it'll last long beyond the end of uh, of uh, the 2022 Six Nations with regards to the importance of it. Certainly for Italy, and I think for the tournament as well at large, to show that Italy are capable of winning uh, games on the road. And I know Wales are, are in a bad place at the moment. But winning in Cardiff like that, um, really, really outstanding. And it just shows the development that's happening in Italian rugby that's taken a while to come in. And it, it, there, there'll be bumps in the road after this. But I, I think it's a really good sign as to what's to come from Italian rugby over the next two, two or three seasons. Because a lot of those players that are there have a lot of rugby left in the tank. And it was a great piece of individual brilliance, like to to create that that run and and the pass then to draw in the defenders. Fantastic try, as you said. It will be uh, an historic one. That'll be, you know, I suppose as we we would call it a reeling in the years moment. Oh, one hundred percent. Like it, like the importance of that, and I, I think the reaction of uh, Paolo Garbisi after he kicked the the conversion, the emotion that was there. That'll just show you just how much it means to Italy. And remember, this is this is a team who had. Their, their status as, a, as an elite team in the Six Nations question three years. Um, and when you look at the importance of achieving a win like that, when they've been beaten relentlessly for you know 37 games in a row, last game they won was against Scotland in 2015, I think it was. Um, it just shows how much it means. And I, I think it kind of reaffirmed for a lot of people that magic can happen in the Six Nations and it's not just about the, the, the five main teams plus Italy. Uh, I think Italy did themselves uh, a whole lot of credit there. But again, Kieran Crowley, this is a guy who has taken Benetton, improved them. They won the Rainbow Cup last year in, in, in the Pro 14 under him. You know, yes, you could say that that was an end-of-season tournament. Didn't really mean that all that much, but that was still a good win for Benetton. And I think, like, you, you saw the way that Benetton are playing uh, and have, were playing under Kieran Crowley. That's uh, been improved again uh, with Italy now, where they're building something that I think is sustainable 
with only more quality young players coming up to the rank uh, to replace them. And, and these guys have been performing well at under 20 for a good long while. Um, the, the signs are good for Italy. No, it's not like winning a Six Nations. They've got to go winning more than one game a season. But it's a great moment. And, it's, and like that moment with Paolo Garbisi, the emotion on his face after he kicked that, uh, the, the conversion to win it, it just it really was a very special moment. And as you said, their club sides have gotten better and better over the last couple of years. Unfortunately, Wales, it's the opposite uh, story there. The national team, as we've you know, we've heard a lot of people saying it, it's papered over the cracks for, for a good few years, but it, Welsh rugby is not in a very good place at the moment. Welsh rugby is in a very dangerous place at the moment, where, as you said there, you're, you're dead right that the, the performance of the national side, certainly under, um, under Warren Gatland, papered over a lot of cracks. You look at the regional teams playing in the you know the Pro 12, you know Pro 14, and, and now the United Rugby Championship. Um, they've been a, a non-entity really. And when you listen to any of these guys for an extended period of time, it's always somebody else's fault. It's always the URC's fault. It's always Irish rugby's fault. Uh, and the fact that the, the Welsh national team was performing so well was kind of a, a, a kind of a, an indication that maybe they were telling the truth. Because again, if uh, the the Welsh team are winning Grand Slams and, and going really deep into into World Cups and stuff like that. Then and and the regions weren't performing. Then you know maybe it is the league that's the problem. But I think when you look at how Wales have performed, and you look at last year where they won uh, a, a, a Six Nations, where there was a lot of they were playing a lot of teams where guys were sent off. The wheels have come off in the last year um, without Adam Wynne Jones. A few other injuries as well. To be fair. But the buzz and the vibe around Welsh rugby at the moment is really bad. And, and again, I think one of the, the, the most telling things were when I was talking to some Welsh guys I know, after they came to Dublin, um, they, when they were beaten so badly by Ireland in that game, like, like blown out of it, um, a lot of the Welsh guys that I was speaking to were kind of like, this has been coming. Like, they, they, they had no bass in, in Wayne Pivak. They're worried about the standard of young players that are coming up. Uh, the like they're having fierce trouble attacking, uh, attracting guys to come to actually watch the games in the stadium, and it seems like things are rotting from the from the bottom up and from the head down, and that's not a good place to be. Um, I think losing Sean Edwards as well was a, a massive blow for them. Um, and again, you kind of look at like, well, where's the fix here? There's no easy fix for Wales. I don't think. I think a lot of the problems they have right now. There's no getting out of them. They've just got to go through them. There's still quality players there, of course, but it just seems like the whole organisation from the test side on down are in bad need of a complete readjustment, I think, and to, to move to a system that better suits what they want. But again, I think with Wales, there's lots of noise in the background. A lot of the amateur clubs, I think, have way too much say um, for, for me personally. So there's no way that they can get a unified voice there when there's so many people who are clawing out and only looking after their own backyard and I think that's a big hindrance for Wales but uh, look uh, again I think when you look at how, how bad they've been this season um, Wayne Pivak more than likely will end up being the fall guy but I'm not sure if it's all on him. Yeah I think it's time for them I suppose to look at their football counterparts because the football union has, has done a lot of work over the last couple of years and got them into and turned them into a, a real national force from underage level all the way to senior so maybe some inspiration for them to take there um, moving on then I suppose to ourselves and I suppose a, a scrappy game against Scotland yesterday um, but nonetheless I suppose the, the triple crown in the bag which is nice 
that is it's kind of it's a bit of a throwback to the mid 2000s I kind of feel like uh, getting frosted tips in my hair again. <laughs> uh, you, you look at the um, the way that Ireland played in this game, and I think the high watermark for Ireland really was that first game against Wales. Um, they were unplayable in that game. But since that point, I think teams have been doing more and more work on Ireland's attack, and, and they've worked out, in theory, how to prevent Ireland from attacking with such you know, basically un- unstoppable uh, momentum um, as, as, as Ireland did against Wales. It's the slow Ireland down at the breakdown or in the collision before the breakdown, which is what Scotland did. Um, and, and Ireland found it quite difficult to get that game going. There was also a few issues in the scrum, uh, one or two issues as well with, the, the, I think, Ireland's um, ball carrying, I think, looked a little bit lightweight compared to what I think would have been needed to, to blow past what Scotland were doing to slow down Ireland's attack. But it didn't really matter at the end. Uh, I think Scotland this season, a bit, a bit like Wales, to be honest, have found the style of play and style of rugby that they've been trying to build, which is a kind of a, they kick the ball very long. They're doing that to encourage the opposition to kick the ball back or to generate these kind of breakdown transitions, is what they're called, where they're, where they're playing a lot of counter-attacking rugby. That's the idea behind it. Uh, and I don't think that's been working for them because I think their defensive performance so far hasn't been good enough. And I think... They, they performed in this game better on those defensive transitions, way better than what they have been for the previous uh, couple of rounds, uh, maybe with the exception of the England game. And that goes a long way to explain why they looked so much better um, than what they did um, uh, in, the last, than in the last couple of games. And uh, for Ireland, I, I think they just they, need, they needed the full 80. But I think what was a concern for me was is that uh, Ireland were, were looking. They, they didn't need a bonus point to, to put themselves into contention because... Ireland always needed France to lose. So regardless of a bonus point or not, maybe you could you know, get the idea of spooking France, although I'm not sure that's possible with this French team. Yeah. Um, you, you could possibly do that, but I think Ireland wanted to go out there and emphatically put a bonus point on Scotland. And for a large part of that game, Ireland had only two tries, and never once did they consider bringing off 36-year-old Jonathan Sexton and allowing uh, Joey Carberry an opportunity to go out there and to... To, to, to get that win and to score those two extra tries that Ireland needed or wanted, certainly. And that in itself is a concern um, that, you know, that the, the head coach and uh, the, the other guys there in the, in, in the coaching uh, group didn't really have that confidence in Joey Carberry to go up there and do that. And when he did come on, it was as a fullback. Um, and again, it just kind of, it, it doesn't engender a lot of confidence that Ireland have, um, you know, real plans beyond just getting Jonathan Sexton to the World Cup. You know, and at this stage, you wouldn't be surprised if they were thinking, well, will he be good to go for the 2027 World Cup as a, as a guy in his mid-party? That's the way they seem to be running it at the moment. So for, for me, that is a bit, of a, a bit of a concern. But in general, I think Ireland were playing very, very well in this Six Nations overall. And a kind of a, 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 a good second place to what I think is an unbelievably good um, French side. I found it very interesting. Now, I was on air when the game was on, so I didn't exactly get a full sense of what was going on, if the sound turned off or whatever, but the celebrations for Conor Murray's try, and Johnny Sexton in particular, like they went fairly mental-like when they went over the line. I was very surprised with, with how enthusiastic they were. Oh, yeah, look, they definitely they wanted that, um, that bonus point try. They wanted to put that away on this Scotland group. There's not a, there's not a lot of love lost between Ireland and Scotland, so... Ireland wanted to go out there and put that bonus point down because I think, look, from their point of view, they could only control um, 
getting the win in this game. They always needed France to lose, and that, that was out of that, that was out of their hands. Um, so the idea was to go out there and to dominantly win this game, which is what Ireland always needed to do to get that triple crown. And they wanted to do it as, as, as emphatically as possible. So that you look at that, there's not a lot. I think there's a no love loss between Ireland and Scotland on field, certainly. And uh, that I think when you look at it was that that group picking a target during the week and then going out there and, and, and achieving it right in the last minute of the game, which I, you know I, I think is always a good thing. And it, it just shows that they're um, a good unified group, which I don't think anybody had any doubt in. But it was a good way to finish the game all the same. Yeah, more evidence of that kind of spirit that Andy Farrell has seemed to re-inject it into them that seemed to have gone missing in the, the latter stages of the Joe Schmidt era. And then, of course, we had to hope that England did us a favour but uh, England, they're just they're just a bit too reckless or something. I, they they just didn't have any composure really in the final moments in France and France top class. Ah, uh, yeah. Look, I, I think I think England are are either keeping their cards very very close to their chest, or they are trying to play and trying to put in in place a style of attacking rugby that at the moment doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. They are missing a guy like Owen Farrell, though I think will add a lot to them, and Manu Tulagi as well, although he nearly more injured uh, than he is fit these days. Um, so I, I think that Eddie Jones is in a tough place at the moment. But, you know, again, I think they were always going to be up against it to go and play this French side at home, who looked like, even now, like world champions in waiting. Because all of the flakiness that we previously associated with French rugby over the last number of years, which kind of became the cliche of the, of, of the, the last decade, really, does not apply to this French side at the moment. They are unbelievably good. You look, You look at some of the... Like the typical things you look at for a team who wants to look to try and win the World Cup, like do they have the size and power? Yes. Do they have the completeness to their game from a set piece perspective? Absolutely. But do they have the quality in the outside backs as well? And you could argue that there is no halfback pairing in the world as good as Antoine Dupont and Roman Antimac at the moment. And then there's like the quality of their midfield back three. They're an extremely formidable side at the moment, and it's going to take a very very good side to beat them in a serious game because they can play you anyway. Like, they, they don't need to have a whole lot of possession to win a game. They're very conservative in some regards. They will kick the ball all day long. They will chase. They're incredibly physical in defense. It, it, honestly, like, I, th- I think it would have taken, like, you know, closing, you know, close on an absolute French collapse to lose that game and lose that Grand Slam yesterday. And again, you, you look at Ireland, um, where I think the scoreboard flattered Ireland a small bit over in Paris in that game in the second round. Um, and that's going to show because I think people are happy enough with France at the moment kind of going hey look it's great to see France back they're playing great rugby and all this I think we will be sick to death of them in two or three years time yeah. when, they, when they are beating us year in and year out so like they are a growing force in world rugby I don't think there's any team in the game can beat them right now not the Springboks not the All Blacks and I think that's going to be a, a, a large issue for them to you know for any of the other teams to get close to the depth and quality that France have right now yeah, as you said, it does feel like the naughties. Like, I mean, I, my childhood, like, was Ireland versus France was the biggest game. You were afraid of France, but that was that was the best game to watch. And there were so many good battles, and it was the game in '09, I suppose, that Jamie Heaslip tried and stuff. Like, that was like a massive turning point for Irish rugby, getting that win in Paris over France, and it could be that way again. But I think it's a it's a fantastic rivalry. Oh, it is, and I think it's only going to grow in the next number of years. I mean, again, you look at the possibility of England turning things around with Eddie Jones. I think it's always possible. He's such a, a talented coach, I think. You know, at the moment, it's not going well for him. But I, I think the standard of Northern Hemisphere rugby is going to just, you know, grow and grow. 
But again, I think everybody's going to have a massive problem with France over the next number of years because you look at, you know, because again, you look at teams who are in the ascendancy and you look at, well, do they have a core of players who are kind of heading into their, you know, 30s or mid-30s and they don't. Like most of their top guys are in their mid-20s. And you look at the, well, do they have an issue in their set piece? Do they have a problem with power? They have none of this. They've got quality all over the field. And more guys getting in who arguably could well be starting but aren't. And, uh, you know, you look at the, the work that's been done there over the years, it's going to be very, very difficult for anybody to stop these guys going forward. And um, it's going to be a massive rivalry. But Ireland will have to win some of those games for it to be an actual rivalry. And that's where I'm concerned at the moment is that um, the gap this year wasn't reflected in that second-round game because they powdered Ireland for a large part of that game. and went to sleep for a small bit, but they won't be making that mistake again. This is a very special French side. I suppose we just have to hope we don't get them in the quarterfinal of the World Cup in Paris. Oh, we're almost certain to get them in the quarterfinal. <laughs> almost certain. <laughs> well, look, Tom, fantastic stuff. It was a great championship all around. And yesterday, I suppose, was yesterday was probably the best day of the whole championship in France. It was a great day. So, uh, yeah, very good championship all around. And as we said, a World Cup year is uh, on the horizon. So um, I'm sure we'll be hearing loads of uh, from you as well on the bigger bench over the next while. Thanks a minute for joining us. Thank you very much. Tom there uh, yeah that is it from me um, Ireland under 20 champions 59-5 the final score at Mosgrave Park Max Blackburn is on the way with Green on Red next The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM